Good morning. My name is Vito, and I am really glad uh, to be here. Have you ever had that phenomenon where you have a good friend, uh, maybe from college days, maybe from childhood, or somebody that you know at work, and you get to be good friends with them and know them, and then you get to go and meet their family, maybe their children, or their parents, or sister, or brother, and it already feels like you know them a little bit. And that's how I've always felt about this church, uh, that when I come here, um, it's, it's so encouraging for me to see all of you here together, to hear what God is doing in your midst. And so I'm glad that each one of you is here, and I'm glad to be here with you too. I live in New York City. Uh, we are really glad to actually come out to Long Island. This is a great privilege, even in the midst of a real cold snap here in January. But we're glad of that because uh, we live in the city. Uh, not to say that I don't love living in New York City. I do love it a lot. There's a lot of things I love about it. And one of my favorite parts of New York City um, is the High Line. Have you been to that park in New York City, the High Line? It stretches from 34th Street down to below 14th Street. It's an old track, and it's been repurposed into a park. And I love how this park helps me to see the city in a new way. You get sight lines that you never would have gotten otherwise. And I love how the park itself is sort of like a journey. You can walk through it as fast or as slow as you want. You can stop for a second and rest. It's a beautiful place. I recommend you going there. But as much as I love the park itself, I love the story of the park. Do you know the story of the High Line? It was an old railroad through the 40s and 50s and 60s that stretched from 42nd Street all the way down far below 14th Street. But with the rise of interstate trucking and the trains being used a little bit less, it fell into less and less repair until in the 80s was about the last time any commercial kind of train was on it. And so through the 90s, it just sat there. And trees and grasses began to grow on it. There were petitions put around for people to want to tear it down. But there were also people that really loved it. There were people that wanted to see it somehow thrive in a different way. And so in the middle 90s, a group of folks got together called the Friends of the High Line. And they got together in order to raise funds and raise awareness in order to make this into something new. Because here is the story of the High Line. It used to be something useful. It fell into disrepair and became ugly. But then it was reclaimed and redeemed and made into something beautiful. It was salvaged. Something that people thought was of no use anymore all of a sudden became very useful, something good and beautiful. This morning as we look at our passage, I would like to try a salvage job, just like the one that was done on the High Line. Will you do that with me? I would like to try to recover something that has fallen into disrepair, something that many of us might think of as ugly or useless, but maybe which could be something which is good and beautiful. And I want to do it with a word, just one single word. I want us to try to salvage the word preach. The word preach. Now, that's a word that has fallen on hard times these days. It's a word we're going to have to salvage because right now it's a term that's pretty suspect. At best, it's considered irrelevant. Something that other people do, like Mark and I. And you know, when people around you say, I would never preach at anybody, do you know that that hurts Mark and I's feelings just a little bit? <laughs> because that's what we say. We don't want to be people who preach. I wouldn't preach at you. I'm a Christian. 
but I wouldn't preach at you. We think of preaching as irrelevant for most people. We even think sometimes of preaching as being something which is dangerous or violent or something that is mean or hurtful. Don't preach at me. I would never preach at you. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach. Don't preach at me. We think of people who look down on others. He's the kind of person that preaches at people all the time. A way to tell people what to do. But the passage that we're going to read together, and it's in your bulletin, I'd like you to look at it. We're going to look at this passage from Luke most of the time. Near the end, I'd like to ask you to turn to a different passage that talks a little bit about preaching. Hopefully we can salvage it a little bit. But this passage, it's from Jesus himself. It's one of the main things and first things that he has to say in his ministry, right in the middle of the ministry of Jesus, right in the middle of the Bible, right in the middle of our faith, is this word, this action of preaching. And just like those tracks that fell into disrepair, just like those tracks that we sometimes think of as ugly, maybe we can repurpose and rediscover this word as something which is beautiful and useful. So let's take a look at it, Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people saw him and and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Dear friends, would you pray with me and ask God to be with us now? Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would be with us now as we consider these words of Jesus, that he came to preach good news to us and to the world and to call us to follow him. So help us to hear now what you have to say to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's begin with the word itself, preach. What does it mean? In the context that's used here, It's a Greek word, euangelion, which you might sort of recognize from the word evangelism or evangelization. The Greek word euangelion means good news. It's a verb. So when it's used here, Jesus is saying, I came to good news people. I came to do something. I came to tell them something that is good news. The translation that's used here is a good one. It says, preach the good news. But actually the word is just euangelion, just good news, kind of verbing it. So if that's what it is, if Jesus came to preach good news, if that's what preaching is, then how has it acquired such a bad definition in our culture? Why is it that people want to be so far away from it? Shouldn't we all want to be good preachers, even if we're not Christians? Wouldn't it be something that we would want to do to tell people good news? But it's a word with baggage. Somehow, we think of it as something negative. It's not only something that we actively don't do, we try to even... Remain far from the appearance of preaching to other people. But Jesus says one of the main purposes of his ministry is to preach. To come and to tell people good news. Jesus devoted his life to this thing that we try to avoid. This act that we think is irrelevant or offensive. And that we don't want to do. Why? Because we want to be good people. We don't want to preach at people. We want people to think that we're good and nice. And Jesus himself, the only person who could ever lay claim to being good, wanted to spend his whole life preaching to people, giving them good news. And the reason he spends his whole life doing this is because Jesus considered preaching to be an act of love. 
The act that somebody would do in love of someone to want to see them thrive and flourish. And the preaching of Jesus was an act of love because he considered it to be a part of what it meant to tell somebody the truth. In a world where we are battered with lies and half-truths about the world and about ourselves, in a world where we go about our lives trying to get a hold of what is true and slipping through our fingers more often than not, Jesus said what he wanted to do as an act of love was to tell people the truth. This is who you are and this is who God is and don't live according to something else that is not true. You and I need to be preached to. What Jesus came to do for us is something that we utterly need. Because as we move through our life, the truths that we hold on to get eroded. They begin to slip through our fingers just a little bit. Let me give you an example of that. I want to give you an example of the truths that you and I as believers in Jesus hold on to, but which begin to erode, that we lose sight of. We just got out of the Christmas season where we learned that Jesus was born into this world as Emmanuel, God with us. The message of Christmas, which I hope you all heard and I hope you all believe, is that God came to be with you so that you would never be alone. So that no matter what happens in your life, God is steadfast and faithful to be with you. Jesus became our brother so that we would never, ever be alone. God is with us. And because of that belief, we know that the very best thing that we could do with our lives is to run after the one who ran toward us, to seize hold of the one who is already holding on to us. Jesus is with you. You are never alone. I hope you know that. But then, all of us, some sorrow comes into our life, some breakdown or some breakup or some injustice or something happens in the world, and then you begin to ask the question, is God with me? Would God have let this happen? Would this person have gotten sick if God was with us? I don't know if God is with us. Would this thing have happened at my job if God was with us? This thing that I saw happen on TV, this great injustice, a thousand miles from here or ten miles from here, is God really with us? And pretty soon, this truth that you saw so clearly and lived your life according to begins to get obscured. You can't see it anymore. It looks distant, it looks faded, like it was maybe never true in the first place. It begins to fade away. My dad was a tool and die maker at an auto factory. I didn't know what that was when I was growing up. I kind of do now. It means that he helped repair the machines in the auto factory. Those big machines that stamp out things like the dashboard on your car. And in order to repair these machines, he had to make these other little machines that he would prop up inside of those big parts of the factory. And on these little machines that he made, these little pieces of metal about as big as my fist, he would stamp his name, Thomas W. Iudo. And when he died, I got a handful of those. I got a couple of those, and I took them home. And I left one of them when I was in seminary in the window of the apartment that I was living in, and it rained overnight. And this little tool that had his name so clearly etched on it got rain on it and it began to rust. And those edges which were so clean and those print, the, the font which was so exact, began to fade. And so now that one, I can barely see his name at all. It's rusted away. It's eaten away by time, by a dark night. And all of us go through life and we believe the things that we are told in the Christian faith. God is with us, but then the dark night comes and the rain comes and it begins to fade away and it begins to erode. And that's why Jesus came to preach and to remind you of the good news that he is with you. 
We have to be reminded all of the time because sickness or dark rainy nights begin to erode those truths. And you know, how could it ever be that we would believe that dark nights would be somehow proof that God isn't with us? Jesus not only came to preach with his words, he came to preach with his life. And the life of Jesus tells us the exact opposite. Jesus' life was one of loneliness and difficulty and service without ever being thanked and sacrifice without ever being recognized and giving up himself totally and God never left him. God was always faithful to him. So don't ever think that because of some conflict or difficulty or strife in your life that God is not with you. Jesus came to preach the good news that he is faithful to you and you and I need to hear it over and over again. So let's do it with one more truth in our life. We did it there with God is with us. Jesus is faithful to us and he'll always be with us. That needs to be preached over and over to us so we won't forget. When it gets eroded, we want to hang on to it. I want to bring up one more. Part of the preaching of Jesus is that he told us that everything that we do matters. Every thought, word, and deed in our life is utterly and eternally significant. And for every word and deed in our life, there will be a reckoning. You and I will be judged by God. We'll be held accountable for everything that we do. In 2 Corinthians 5, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Some of us have heard that truth, and some of us have lived according to it. That every thought, word, and deed, that what we do matters that God cares about everything that takes place in our life. And we've heard that, that what we do matters eternally. What we do in private matters. What we do that hardly anybody else notices matters. matters. That the lives that we've been given are gifts and are valuable to be spent in the service of God and others. And we believe that's the truth. But just like that other truth, it begins to get eroded and fatigue and discouragement and the day-to-day grind of life begins to eat away at the reality that your life matters, every single part of it. And pretty soon, the good that you want to do gets pushed off to the side. And pretty soon, the bad that you know you shouldn't be doing makes itself at home in your life. In any sense that you're going to be judged, you just push to the side. You don't want to hear it or think about it. In any sense that you'll be held accountable for your life, You don't want to think about that. The sense that your life matters so much, that God cares about it so much, that every thought, word, and deed is precious to him, is going to be used by him, it begins to fade and you don't see it. And what was stamped so clearly on your life begins to just not be readable at all. And you think, well, God doesn't care that much. God isn't going to really judge us, is he? God isn't going to care that much about what we do and say. And then Jesus came to preach. And one of the central things he preached in his ministry is that everything that we do matters. That we will be judged. That our lives do matter. And that in Jesus Christ, there is mercy and forgiveness for all the ways that we do fall short. That is utterly true. When we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. In him we have forgiveness. Make no mistake about that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But God is a God of justice and truth. And our lives are owed to him. And Jesus preaches that your life matters. 
that each thing that you do matters and that you should live your life as if you are someday going to have to stand before God to give account for your life, which you will. So we should live like it's true, because it is. You and I are going to be judged by God. Do you think that sounds harsh? Let me tell you what's even more harsh than that. I'll tell you what's more harsh and more cold and more dark than the knowledge that we are going to be judged by God. This is more harsh. That if I came here to tell you today that at the end of your life, there would be no accounting. That there would be nobody to judge what is good or evil. That the things that you did or didn't do wouldn't matter at all. That you didn't have to love your neighbor or not. It just doesn't matter. Nobody cares. You can keep your promises or not keep your promises. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. No one is watching. No one is going to take account of what happens in your life. Nobody is going to notice about your words and your deeds and your thoughts. None of it will be known and none of it will be remembered or valued. That would be more harsh. But the truth that Jesus came to preach is to tell us the truth that God does care that he's going to judge us and that Jesus Christ himself will stand alongside us. And I hope that when you stand before God to be judged, you are standing with Jesus who is the friend of sinners and who has pledged himself to stand alongside us and to bear any penalty which should be ours. So that's preaching. That's good news to know that God is with us, to know that our lives matter. And that's what you and I need to hear, the truth to keep the lies of our life from becoming the reality that we live by. And you can see here in verse 42 in the passage that not only are you and I called to hear the preaching of Jesus, we're going to pivot now a little bit. We're going to see now that you and I are the ones that are called to be preachers too. Verse 42 says, The people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. They have heard the preaching of Jesus And now he's going to leave. They don't want him to leave, but he is going to leave. He has preached the good news to them, and now it's time for him to go. And so the people in this passage are not so far different from you and I. We have heard the good news of Jesus, but now he's not here. He's not bodily here in the same way. And so who does it fall to to now become the preachers, the people who tell good news to one another? And the answer is that it's you and I. And so I would like us to turn over, if you would, to page 966 of your pew Bible. If you have one in front of you, I'd like to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 17. This is a passage that is about preaching. And in it, you see the beauty of being preached to, but you also see the beauty and the call to every one of us to be preachers. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is the preaching of the gospel that is true for all of us who look to Christ. You are brand new. The old has passed away. The new has come. The old judgment which should have been yours is gone The new forgiveness and acceptance is yours. The old self, which didn't want to hear what God had to say, is being put to death. The new self, which will hear the good news of your calling, has come. That is good news. But if you go down to verse 19, you see that it now falls to us to tell that to one another. Verse 19 says, In Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And listen now, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You've been given a gift. You've been given a mission. My son and I watched Mission Impossible last night. The little disc that's put in there. You now have a mission. This mission, if you choose to accept it, is what? You are an ambassador for Christ. Making his appeal through us. You have an appeal to make to the people around you. The message that God is with you. The message that you and I, everything that we do matters. And God's love and forgiveness is for us. That is something that's been entrusted to you. And I want to make sure that you hear this very plainly and clearly. This message is not just for ordained pastors like Mark and I. There are parts of the Bible which are specifically addressed to shepherds and pastors and elders and leaders. This is not one of them. The message has been handed to everyone who is a follower of Jesus. And you have been called to preach the good news. Everybody within the sound of my voice has been called to preach. Are you all good preachers? Do you preach the good news of Jesus to the people around you? And I know right now as I say that, I've been preaching long enough to notice the sort of guilt slash disdain slash fidgety way that you all are feeling right now when the preacher says, you know, you should be preaching to the people around you. And some of us feel guilty because we don't preach enough to the people around us. We don't tell people the good news. We feel guilty about it. Some of us are pulling that old St. Francis quote out and kind of waving that around in our minds right now. You've heard that, right? Preach the good news at all times. When necessary, use words. And you're thinking, well, my life is a kind of preaching. Well, it's a kind of preaching. Some of us hear this and we're nonplussed. Some of you are just not feeling guilty right now at all. That's okay. That's for you kinds of folks who do preaching. Okay. But all of those ways of thinking about preaching go along that old paradigm that it's something that might hurt someone's feelings or something that we do not do instead of thinking about it as an act of love to remind people of the truth of what is true. That God is present and that God comes with mercy and joy and grace for every single person. What if preaching good news is a gift, not only to the one that you preach to, but what is a gift for you? What if you and I have been missing out on this beautiful endeavor of being able to preach to the people around us that Jesus came to be for them? Let me try to say it one more way and then we'll be done. We just came out of Christmas where we heard the good news, the good glad tidings of great joy, like the carol says, that this little baby is the manifestation of God in this world, that he came to be the prince of peace. That he was born into this world to save us and be our savior. That little baby grew up to be a man. And he came to love the weak and the lonely and the ashamed and those on the margins and those who are at the center but still feel like they're on the margins. And that little boy, when he grew up, one of the first things that he had to say was, I came to preach good news. It must be a good thing. It must be a beautiful thing. And I want you, Grace Church, to take it up and become preachers to the people around you. That God has come in mercy and in grace for the world. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, 
you sent your son Jesus into this world to preach the good news of his kingdom. You came that he might be the preacher who tells us about his forgiveness to the world. And I pray that you would help each one of us to embrace and receive it. But I pray also, Father, that not only would we receive that good news, but also that we would be preachers of it. Help us to tell the truth of love to one another and to the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.